Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. You may be thinking about changing, advancing, or even reinventing your career. We want to help you do that and live your full potential. In each episode, I cover work and career topics, leveraging my 30 plus years of global HR leadership and through interviews with other career experts and professionals from around the world. Subscribe today and visit modern-career.com for blog posts, career stories, career coaching and workshops, and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to Insider Insights from a Talent Expert. Navigating a career can be complicated and sometimes a confusing process, but it doesn't have to be this way. In today's episode, we're breaking down some of the barriers around what recruiters, managers, and HR professionals are really looking for during the hiring process, from working with a recruiter, to strengthening your personal brand, to getting the most out of your current role and company. Our guest today is Shilpa Shaw. Shilpa is the Director for Global Talent Acquisition and Candidate Experience at GE Healthcare. She has over 18 years international talent leadership and expertise, both in executive search consultancy and in blue chip organizations. She's worked globally across various industries, including IT software, engineering, financial services, and healthcare in companies such as Rolls-Royce, Aviva, and General Electric. Shilpa lives in London with her family and is also a big well-being advocate, practicing and sharing methods in the workplace to enhance well-being. Welcome, Shilpa, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Mary. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so great to see you, and I know there's a lot to cover, many topics. (laughs) I wonder if maybe before we just get deep into it, you can share with us just a little bit about your background. You know, you're a female leader, you've been in the technology space some time, but you've also started your own company. Tell us a little bit about how you got your start and, and, and how you came to focus on this particular area. Sure. Wow. Where do I start? So, I grew up in a family of salespeople, Mary, so that might explain a little bit about why I'm in recruitment today. Mm. So surrounded by salespeople, business leaders, and so that was a great sort of grounding, you know, when you're growing up. But I fell into recruitment. I went to university and studied marketing, business studies, as, as many do, but you never sort of plan a career in recruitment. But recruitment uses so many skills that you have and learn from business, from marketing. You've got to have deep business acumen. You've got to have good negotiating skills. You've got to be able to be very client-centric and relationship-driven. And those skills I learned really served me well. Growing up, you know, we also had Saturday jobs back in those days. And, you know, again, in the retail world, you learn so much. So, you know, grew up like that, you know, fell into recruitment worked in consultancy, but wanted to see the beginning and the end of what happens when you go into this field. And so then joined the corporate world. And here I am today. So we know, Shilpa, it's incredibly competitive. We always say it's a competitive job market, but this is unbelievably competitive. What might be some tips for how someone might stand out or differentiate themselves from your perspective? Yeah, that's a that's a really important piece. So I think first and foremost, Mary, I would say that you need to know yourself. You need to be self-aware of the skills you have, the things you do really well, 
And also understanding what are your transferable skills. People forget there are skills that you have in a role, but they can transfer to another area. And you forget about that sometimes. So don't just think experience in terms of the work you've done, but also what skills do you have that are transferable? I still see too many CVs that look like job descriptions, not as a sales achievement document. You know, your CV is your USP, it's your brand. People want to know what you've done, not what you were hired to do. So people really want to understand what your achievements have been. So what you write about yourself is really important. The world of social media and digital is key. You've got to be out there on LinkedIn, have a good profile, get people to recommend you, get people to endorse your skills, but also, you know, perhaps write a few things, be a thought leader out there and talk about the subject you know well. That gives a lot of recognition. And also, instead of going out and looking for a job, sometimes you get sought out if you have the right skills and profile on social media. These are tremendous points. I would like to come back to some. So the self-awareness, I mean, I think we've both done a ton of recruiting and interviewing. It's not that common to, to see that, right? <laughs> we would all think we would be really self-aware, especially more advanced in our careers. But it is common to see someone who's really struggling with their strengths and with some of those areas you talked about. Or do you find that? It's a mix. <laughs> it's a real mix. I think it depends on the company you come from. So many companies are very big on feedback. So it's not just waiting for that annual review you have, but you're always looking at what are the things you do well, what are the things you need to develop on, and that helps you become self-aware. But asking for those questions, doing a 360, asking for feedback is so crucial. You know, some people are self-aware, but there are many that I come across who are not self-aware. And you've got to educate them. And I think many people that I coach as well now, especially females, I do a lot of sort of female coaching, and they are very self-aware, but they just lack a confidence in moving mm -hmm. in a different mm -hmm. direction or mm -hmm. perhaps taking that, that next step because they're thinking, what skills do I not have versus what skills do I have and I can use and capitalize on? So it's a real mix. You're right. And I think a lot of it depends on which corporate sort of culture you've come from and what that culture enables you to do and how much they are comfortable with feedback. And I think that really determines how self-aware you become. And in your point too, I mean, we can all seek feedback, especially if you thought, well, I'm entering a very competitive, I'm, you know, I'm looking to advance in my own company, I'm going to be interviewing. What a great time to go get feedback, even if your company, you know, environment doesn't have that as sort of a continuous thing in the culture. Your point too about transferable skills and and also women sort of feeling like they may, you know, as a general sweeping generalization, but feeling like you have to advance on performance, not as much on potential. But it's so important, these pivots, because, you know, it, there's so many more paths that could be open to you, right? If you really knew your transferable skills and knew that you could really go for things, even if you don't have the full background for them. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Mary, many organizations still reward performance versus really understanding if someone has potential. And more and more, you will find people who have potential are likely to perform well, but people who are performing well are not 
always likely to have high potential. You have to assess this. Potential can really change as well over the years. It's looking at where someone is, what's their desire for their career, and then it's understanding the sort of key competencies you need to really show that potential. So assessing someone's potential is really important, and I think more companies are looking at this rather than just performance. It's important for someone to be able to achieve their potential, and that can look different for different people. You know, somebody may have a different situation in their life, which means they may have potential, but they're not ready to move on to something at that particular stage of their career. So it's important to understand that and also the individual's personal situation too. Do you think that's more okay these days? I mean, we both grew up in an environment uh, early in our careers where if you had potential, but you said you weren't really, you know, you couldn't move or, you know, you were limited at a particular time, which people are through their whole career or their values, you know, at that moment may be different, that it's it wasn't seen as such a good thing, that if you were high potential, you had to keep moving all the time. Has that changed in your mind? I think it has changed a lot. And I think that in organizations, you will have the fast trackers who want to extend their career and go up the ladder. But there's also people who want to have different experiences, so more of a career lattice. And I'm seeing more of a career lattice than a career ladder these days. The fact that people can now work remotely and it's become even more so through the pandemic, I think that's really changed how we look at location, flexibility, you know, it's all very much output and delivery focus. So I think it is changing quite a bit. It's really about what value add do you bring into an organization? Where do you want your career to go? And how does a company best unlock your potential? Mm. Shelby, you talk about social media, and it is really important. I see those who probably really get that and are active, to your point, they're, they're responding to others, and they're also creating content and having thought leadership. But the majority might not be. They're probably in their jobs thinking, I'm busy enough. This is something else I've got to do. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you, even as you're interviewing and looking at candidates, really paying attention to that? And is it, it really does matter? I think, you know, first and foremost, your skills are what get you through the door, right? So you're, you're looking at what do you bring? Do you have the skills, the capabilities, the competencies that a role requires you to have? But social media just gives it that extra buzz, especially if you're looking to be headhunted versus looking for a, a role. People are quite shy still to get onto social media. There's a nervousness about it still. You know, can I say this? Can I say that? Is this correct? Is this not? But on LinkedIn, you see people sharing so much more. And I think you're, they're, they're sharing more even personal things about work-life balance, about diversity. You could be a thought leader on so many different things. So I think there is a time element. People are very busy and it takes time to write something, to put your thoughts down. I would say if you're really, if you really want to be visible on social media, take the time out, even if it is a matter of writing or responding to someone's comments on a particular topic, it all gets recognized. And it's, it's very important to do that. I was quite shy a few years ago, you know, I didn't want to write anything myself. Me too. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then I thought, you know what, there are a couple of topics I'm really passionate about. One is onboarding, as you know, Mary. Mm -hmm. And another one is really around diversity, inclusion. There's so much on this topic. And I'm sure just by sharing sometimes your own perspective or how you got over something or how you tackled homeschooling with the pandemic and being a full-time worker, 
you know, this brings others to the table to share their perspectives. And, and then you start a trail of conversation, which is opening up so many doors and, and, and opportunities to converse with other people. So I think it's really critical to try your best to get out there, but your skills and your capabilities will bring you to the right capabilities and organizations and, and roles. Fantastic. So Shilpa, something that comes up a lot is, you know, as someone advances, say they're in their mid-career and they're hoping to move more and more towards, let's say, becoming a director or above, they're wanting to work more and more with search firms, more retained search firms and executive and external recruiters as they advance. Any tips on how does someone get to know and work with them? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think there are various ways of getting introduced to a search firm. Now, you can go cold and send your details through to a search firm. So there's that proactive approach. It's good to use your network and get some recommendations. You know, that's always very useful to say, hey, Mary recommended me to come and speak with you. You know, here's what I'm looking for. And then send your CV as well. They always ask for a CV anyway, but trying to get a coffee with them or a virtual coffee these days, just for 20 minutes can make a big difference. A CV, it's still just black and white on paper, you know, try and get a meeting or a coffee with someone so they can actually converse with you and see you. I think that's important. If you have, again, I go back to the the profile, if you've got a, a profile out there, or you've been on a talk, or you've presented somewhere, you will find that headhunters will seek you out. Because they're seeing these and they're saying, oh, I want to get to know Shilpa because I'm seeing something about her and who's she and she's got a voice and yeah. Exactly. And then referrals are great, right? So, you know, getting known in the market, networking, virtual events, you know, you meet so many different people. And the other day I was on a learning and development virtual conference. That's got nothing to do with what I do today in talent acquisition, but you still learn. You come away with a bigger network, you get to know others, and you learn something that's related to something you're doing today. And I think that's very valuable. That's fantastic, because I I know people who transitioned into that quite well and still attend things and, and are very active in the times that we're in, but some have kind of pulled back because they're not in person and it feels very different. But you're finding them quite impactful and, and helpful. And the networking aspect is still still there. Still there. And probably the number one thing I'd say out there when you are looking for a new role or if you're looking to get in touch with some headhunters, it's it's really crucial to keep that network growing. Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, sort of the black and white CV and or resume. Is there any tip you might give for someone who wants their CV to really stand out in the broader pool? Yeah, I think there there's so many CVs I see, Mary, that I, I sit know. there and feel like, oh, I want to coach. Yeah. I want to coach someone on how to write a CV. CV writing is it's really important to get some fundamentals correct. So I think I mentioned earlier. Writing about your achievements, not your responsibilities. The impact. Really the, yeah. yeah what did you do? And then mm. think, what did that add value? You know, was it that you you delivered something that then had a, a massive impact on a customer or the business? Writing about some of those achievements are very important. And someone's reading your documents. So you want to be able to, you're building your perception 
on a CV. So long CVs are not good. You know, keeping it crisp, succinct, to the point, but informative is very important. And not getting too bogged down. A lot of people start to put all of their skills and everything they've done. You know, what people are interested in are your skills, your experience, your achievements. Those are the key things that you need to add in your CV. So I would say that start there and that should help you get the exposure you need or in the door. Absolutely. Shilpa, you've also, of course, interviewed many candidates over the years. Can you tell us what stands out and what does great interviewing look like and maybe any pitfalls to avoid that you'd share with us? Sure. So first and foremost, I always assess objectively for the skills that we require for a role. What we look for today are are skills and capabilities, not just work experience and education. You know, it's changing somewhat. Great candidates really give strong examples that are evidence-based against competency-based interviews rather than talking hypothetically. You know, there are some that still talk about what they would do or should do versus what they did do. So that's very important. The other thing is, you know, great candidates don't just talk about what they did, but they talk about how they did it. So that belief system, the values, the leadership skills, again, these things can come out. And and this is what really differentiates some of the more stronger candidates. You can see and, and feel someone's personality as they come through, even on the phone. Yeah, because, you know, I think without sort of role playing a bit or practicing or thinking about these kinds of things before you go into one, you're bound to go on and on because you haven't thought about them. And so you know, it's, it's harder to be succinct. Yes. I think understanding the skills and experience the job requires and just thinking through some examples that you might be able to give against some of those competencies or skills or capabilities is great to prepare. So preparing for an interview is also very important. There used to be a belief that when asked something about your areas of opportunity or development, you should polish it up and make it sound like a strength, even if it's not. Is that gone now? And is it much more authentic to be really candid about the areas that you still need to grow in and areas of opportunity? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I I think authenticity is really important. And again, it goes back to that piece around being self-aware. So when you're able to say, hey, here are the things I do really well, but, you know, here are the things I've been working on or I have development areas and here's what I'm doing about them. It shows that authenticity and that self-awareness in someone. And no one's perfect. We all have our strengths and we all have our development areas. So it's important, I think, more and more now to bring that authenticity to the table. Awesome. So company culture and fit are important, I think, both for the company who's looking to hire, but also candidates um, wanting to know, was this a place I want to spend a good investment of my life in? But it can also be difficult to assess during, you know, the whole process. Any tips for evaluating whether a company might be a good fit for you from the employee or the interviewee's point of view? Yes, absolutely, Mary. So asking a lot of questions around what's important to you. How does this company look at work-life balance, for example? How does this company make decisions? It will help you understand the structure, how things are done that are important to you. But you need to understand your value system. What are your non-negotiables? 
and then as you meet and, and go for interviews with a company is understanding those pieces by asking the right questions. The other tip I would give is meet more people. So, you know, if you're going for an interview with your potential boss, perhaps ask to meet some peers or other people, because those meetings, although they are also about interviewing you, you're also interviewing the company to understand whether it is a right fit for you. That culture fit piece or making sure that a company really aligns with your value system, your beliefs, I think is really critical because it brings out the best in you when you're in a culture that fits you. Absolutely. Let's talk about branding. And I know you're very passionate about this topic. What do you think a personal, what is a personal brand? And why is it important from your perspective? Personal brand is so important. It's what differentiates you from others or what brings out the best in you. So whenever I coach people, I will say to them, you know, think about performance visibility and exposure. So performance is a given. You've got to perform in an organization that is high performing. That's a given. But what you've also got to think about is how do I create the visibility? What relationships do I need to build? How will those relationships help me? And then also the piece around perception. So if people are to describe you, what would they say about you? That's your brand. Now, you can change your brand. You can say, here's my brand today. And in two, three years time, I want my brand to be something else. And really understanding that gray in between or the gaps and how do you bridge that. So somebody might feel, for example, you know, my brand is that I'm, I'm really good at execution. I'll get everything done. I'm very results oriented. That's the brand I have. But what I want my brand to be is to be a leader. And to become a leader, I need to delegate through others, work through others, I need to drive some decisions. I need to be working on my strategic thinking. And these are the things you work on to then create that new perception and develop in those areas. So brand is, is important. It's important when you're looking at joining an organization, when you're looking at your development, and so on and so forth. Any thoughts about what are some things one can do to, let's say, improve both their visibility and their exposure? Because I think performance is kind of more well understood and people have their arms around that aspect, even if they need to continue to improve it. But visibility and exposure are really opportunities. What can we do to improve and what might hold us back from that? Yeah, so I think when we when we get into our jobs, we get very stuck into the day-to-day -day job and we're into delivery mode and we want to deliver quick wins but taking that time out to just get to know people, understand what success looks like, will really help you understand the organization, the landscape, and help you be ultimately successful. So I would say things like getting involved outside of your own inner circle of influence, you know, maybe joining a working forum. It could be an ERG group. It could be a global project that you're giving some advice on or you're volunteering to work on. It could be that you're giving something, that you have a skill that you want to share. It could be that you're great at project management. You want to teach the organization over a lunch and learn about your skills. So getting known, getting that visibility is important and using others to help you with that as well. You know, as you network and as you build relationships, there may be opportunities that come your way 
and it's really taking taking them on and thinking where can you add value and how can this help you as well. Brilliant. And how about some standout behaviors that could positively and negatively affect one's brand? So I'm not sure if there are any standout behaviors as such that can affect us positively or negatively as each company and each firm is very different. But I would say bring your true self in the work environment and ask the right questions, take time to understand the culture, understand how the company operates so that you're really set up for success. Sometimes it's about understanding what I call the unwritten rules. So it's something that's not told to you, you have to work out. It could be simple things like, you know, you're doing a presentation and the company doesn't like animation. So don't do animation to make sure that you really land well when you're presenting something. Taking that time out to really understand how things operate and how things are done around here are very, very important. How do you think, you know, your own thoughts on cultural differences and do they factor into this conversation about branding and fit from your perspective? Fit assumes something, but it still leaves something on the table, I think. And even even as simple as your example of don't do automation, but what's being missed out when somebody doesn't bring the style and the perspective or whatever of who they are. So our attempt to fit or our attempt to look a certain way in a brand still has some challenge to it. It does. I think inclusion and diversity is becoming a more important and fundamental piece of how businesses operate now. And they're understanding the value of difference. So I think, you know, that piece is good and it's it's changing. You know, there are so many elements of inclusion and diversity so whether it's gender whether it's lgbtq whether it's ethnic origin race etc you know understanding the skills the value someone brings allowing them to bring their true selves to work that's the important piece is becoming more and more important so i think we're we're becoming more understanding more agile more open and more getting more educated around this topic. One thing I'll I'll share with you is I'm talking to a lot of people at the moment around cultural differences. I'm, I'm an Indian woman. I'm married. I have children. But there is an expectation of me as perhaps being a good daughter, a good daughter in law, a great wife, a great mother, great employee at my organization. But some cultures make it very hard for women to really work outside of that norm nine to five. They have so many other roles they need to play. They sometimes have the capability, but they may not go for that more senior role because they just can't see how they'll fit it in to their life. And that's not about just being a female. It's about the cultural piece that's expected from them as well. And, you know, sometimes you'll laugh at this, Mary, but you know, sometimes in you know us Brits, we can be a little reserved, but actually we think we're quite extroverted. Yet, you know, the Americans may feel, oh God, they're so introverted because they're British and so <laughs> they're not as, as open or as extroverted. So I think there's so much more to learn about style and allowing people to really be them true selves at work. But looking at what they bring in terms of value, capabilities and skills, I think that's the important piece. I completely agree with you. And I think we're barely scratching the surface there, aren't we? 
So much opportunity. Let's talk a little bit about navigating inside one's own company and sort of optimizing where they are. What might someone do, do you think, to begin and maintain that expectation setting and career goals conversation with their manager? That's great. Yes. So I think, Mary, first and foremost, it's understanding with your manager, what does success look like for you? So first question I always ask, what does success look like for you? What do you need to see me do or deliver? And how do you like to work? Very important. So it's the, it's the what and the how. Adapting myself to that situation is important, but also explaining to your manager what you need to be successful as well. So it's a kind of win-win conversation. So I think that's really important to first set the, set the scene and understand how, how you both work. Ensuring you own your career, right? So lots of companies will provide you with fantastic tools to own your development, to navigate where you want to go, but you've got to own it, right? And if there's something you want to do or you aspire to achieve, you've got to ask for it sometimes. You know, if there's a skill that you feel you have, it's sometimes saying to your manager, hey, I really am keen to progress in this area. How do you suggest I go about it? What gaps do you see I have? What could I work on to get there? And understanding how to navigate that career piece is important. I see many manager-employee relationships go wrong because those questions are not explored at the beginning. What does success look like for you? Here's what I need to be successful. What holds people back, do you think? Why are we having more of that? Either side. I think there's an assumption made and -hmm. things are not cleared or, or clear on both sides. And then things go wrong and then people start becoming silent or holding back. And that just trickles into, into an uncomfortable place. Whereas, you know, it's, it's good to just understand what success looks like being agile and not set in your ways is also very helpful on both sides. So being open, being flexible can bring the best out of both, both parties. Absolutely. So we know the world is profoundly changing. How might an employee continue to grow in a way that they won't feel stuck, gain new experiences and keep up with those necessary skills as the world keeps changing? Thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. So There's a really good TED talk, actually, Mary, on this, and it's looking at the performance zone and the learner zone. And what happens is we like to stay in the performance zone because it's comfortable. You know your stuff, you're going to deliver, you're going to do well. And that maximizes your performance. The learner zone, which could be uncomfortable, different, challenging, is where you're going to maximize your growth. You've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. So... I think it's learning. And if that's not in your company, there is so much out there that you could learn from. And it's attending these virtual events. It's networking with your peers and understanding what they're up to. Having the external in approach is a really great thing to do because you continue to bring great ideas and best practices back into your organization. We've got to own our careers, move in that learning zone and learn what's going on in our domain area, but even outside of that, and learn a new skill. So if there's skills like digital, for example, you know, people have got to become more digitally agile, especially in the pandemic, we saw that that accelerated. So how do you, how do, you do that? How do you learn and self-learn 
don't wait for a company to give you that opportunity. Be a learner and get into that learner zone and get uncomfortable. This is such a key, this this comfort. I think if you feel comfortable, you know you're not really in the zone of learning. And it does mean you don't have to be massively uncomfortable, but you know learning comes with feeling a little bit of discomfort. And it's a good sense of it, but you'll it's a great gauge to know if you're really in the zone. Absolutely. And I know I went through that. I mean, I was at Rolls-Royce. I was given this opportunity to not just head up talent acquisition, but also talent management. And a very different skill set because in talent acquisition, everything's very tangible and very quickly you can see the results. Whereas in talent management, it's a longer cycle. And so getting used to that and getting comfortable that you're not going to have these tangible results was a big shift for me in my mindset. But what great learning. You know, it's a fantastic skill to have. I was spending more time learning, growing, getting things wrong sometimes. But that's where your growth comes. That's where Mm. your growth comes. Anything you did, anything you can recall that you did that really enabled you to be successful and sort of recognize that you were just growing and learning and had to be, you know, as comfortable, but also do whatever you could to keep, you know, making that more comfortable over time? You know, I, I was really lucky to have many mentors who I would be very honest and open with and say, hey, give me some feedback. You know, how did I do that? What would you advise me to do differently? So that's always very important. Feedback is so key to help you continue to grow. And then sometimes being okay with the fact you're not going to get everything right. It's okay to sometimes not have all the answers. It's okay to sometimes get something a little wrong because it helps you do it better the next time. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. But making sure you're growing and learning as you go, you know, creates that that performance in you and, and you'll, you'll get there eventually. But It's that learning journey that is so crucial and important. Spot on. Shilpa, often people say, you know, there's lots of politics in organizations, all kinds of all levels of politics. And one can feel like sometimes they affect their career, their career growth. Any thoughts on navigating the politics within an environment? So Mary, I would say politics are just relationships that need strengthening. That's how Mm -hmm. I look at it. Great. That's a good way of putting it. (laughs) I think you've got to understand what may be going on in the other person's mind. How do you help them understand what you're striving to do? How do you understand the point that somebody else might be coming from and finding an area that could be a win-win? At the end of the day, you know, everyone's trying to do the best for the company. There's a really good book called Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. And it's by, the author is Marilee Adams. And it advises you and teaches you to be in the learner mindset, not the judger mindset. And politics comes about because we end up in the judger mindset. Whereas if we're in the learner mindset, we're asking questions to understand the situation that helps us then resolve something that could be not as big as it is in your head at the time. So that book I would advise to anyone to read. It's called Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. It's Mary Adams, but it's a it's a brilliant book to help you stay in that learner zone and get out of that judger zone, which can be. I love uh, that. It's about stay curious and open. Otherwise, you think you know it all and you're very fixed and very narrow. Exactly, exactly. And build those relationships. I would say, you know, that's really important. I really do feel that when you've understood something and taking time out to really get to the bottom of something 
or the root cause of something actually helps you get over some of these sort of scene politics, as, as, as I call it. Fantastic. So since we're on this topic of growth mindset, which is so important, any other key behaviors you've seen from employees who clearly have that, that real growth mindset? What do they do to get the most out of the development of where they are, wherever they are in their organization or on their path? So I think people with a growth mindset are very curious and they ask a lot of questions. And I also find that they're learners, you know, they're hungry to keep learning more and more. They never feel they know it all. And I think those are the the people that really have a great growth mindset. I remember working for someone who continuously would ask me questions and I would think, but you know the answer to this. But they were asking me questions because they they were learning themselves to say, hey, maybe I'm learning something from Shilpa. So it was like almost like this reverse mentoring going on, which is really quite impressive. So I think learning from different generations, being curious, asking questions, I think all enable and relate to somebody who's got a real growth mindset and, and attitude. And that's, they're the people that sort of tend to do very well, I think, as well, because of the curiosity that they have. Mm, I love that. Shilpa, any tips you mentioned earlier, balancing, you know, work and life, family, so, you know, so many other aspects of life. And you've always had, you know, you've worked hard, you've had this tremendous career journey and a rich, full life. Any tips on managing all of that? If it's, even, <laughs> if it's even possible and, you know, what makes it successful or better. Yeah, there's no magic wand to any of this. I think it's about... I'm still one... looking for the magic wand. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people are. <laughs> or potion. I think it's... So I have boundaries and you've got to set boundaries. Your boundaries are key. I love yeah. this point. Yes. I have boundaries. My boundaries are... You know, there's something I do every day, I meditate and nobody disturbs that half an hour for me that happens in the morning when no one's woken up in my family. So it's a, it's my boundary. So my meditation, my time for myself is really important because it helps me set my day up for success. So I, I have this technique I use that I've learned for years, which is, is very, very good. You've got to set your boundaries. If, if you need, you've got to create time for yourself. You've got to carve out time for you, whether that is meditating in the morning, whether that's exercising, whether that's going for a walk. You've got to carve that out for yourself because we are wearing so many hats. We are, you know, doing so many different roles. You've got to remember you and take care of you so that you can perform all those roles. And the other thing I'll say, Mary, is don't overthink it. If you're really enjoying what you're doing, you will just do it. You will do it. And I think it's when people stop enjoying what they're doing that then it's a downward spiral. So enjoy what you do. Don't overthink it. Carve out some time for yourself. And remember that if you're healthy, your mind is healthy, you will perform at the end of the day. Spot on. Shopo, what's a piece of career advice that's either stayed with you throughout your career or just something that you'd love to share with us? I've been very lucky that I've worked for some great leaders, including yourself, Mary. But a very long time ago, I was taught that it's not all about performance, so the what you do, but it's also important how you do it. So that's really stayed with me. 
you know, was I collaborative? Did I listen to other people's views? The how is just as important as the what when you're delivering something. The second piece is really around when you're launching or, or trying to create something new for a purpose. Many people say, hey, we launched something, but it didn't stick. So I've learned that you can't launch and leave things. You've really got to continuously improve, evolve, get the right feedback, ensure you've got the right buy-in from the right people that are decision makers. You know, who do you need to consult? Who do you need to influence? And who do you need to get really bought on board? Those things are very, very important. So who's the customer for this initiative or this project that you're delivering? Embedding something is really important. So it ensures success. And that piece of feedback has worked for me time and time again. That's fantastic. Shilpa, first of all, it is so great to see you. And there was so much richness you shared with us across so many topics and with such openness, which is really, really fantastic. Gave us a ton of food for thought. I really want to go check out that learner TED Talk because I was not familiar or the book, (laughs) Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. We'll put all that in the show notes. But uh, so much more. Thank you. Thank you a ton. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Mary. I've really enjoyed that. For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at modern underscore career. We'll include all the sources noted in this episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon. Mm -hmm.